Last week, we were in Matthew 24, and we took a section of Matthew 24. We talked about some things, and now this week, we're going to be in chapters 36 and 37 of Ezekiel. We're going to read a lot, but it goes kind of fast. Then next week, we're going to read Ezekiel 38 and 39 as uh, we see things coming together. If you've been around Calvary for any length of time, you'll know that I love Bible prophecy. I love Bible prophecy because we just see it taking place right in front of us. And so we're going to talk about that today. One of the things you'll hear me say is that I love Bible prophecy because Bible prophecy helps us to understand that things aren't falling apart, tells us that things are falling into place. And they really are. It's happening just as the Bible said. So what makes Christianity... And and I grew up in the church, and then I went to college, and I had those professors that we all have that seem to want to dismantle our faith. But one of the things that really brought me around and gave me a solid foundation is just the whole idea of Bible prophecy. So I want to put put there on on the screen today a verse from Isaiah. And God says, and this is what makes us different than all the other belief systems on the planet. God says, for I am God, and there is no other. Um, guys, um, there is one God, and, and it, he's the God of the Bible from God's perspective. So in our world, some people say, well, that's your truth, and this is your truth. But from God's perspective, he's, there's just one, and all the others would not be true. And he says, now, here's how you'll know that I am true and the others are not, because I can do something that no other belief system on the planet can ever do. He goes on to say, I'm God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me. Well, how? How is no other God like him? He says, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things which have not been done. And so the idea is God says, unlike any other belief system on the planet, any other so-called God, I can do what they cannot do. I can tell you how it's going to turn out hundreds and thousands of years before it actually takes place. And so you and I as Christians, our faith is built on what is called predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy is this. God says, here's how it's going to be. And when it happens, you'll know that I am God because nobody else can do that. So no other book of faith on the planet in the history of the world has ever been able to say, this is how it's going to turn out. And it does. Uh, God says, the only, I'm the only one who can do that. We're going to see that today. So as we get into this today, this, this is important, but you want to file this under that file in your, your Christian life of just stuff you just got to know. So you want to keep that in mind as we go. So there is something that the Bible will teach, which will be the trigger of that final generation. And uh, I grew up in church, as you've heard me say many times before, wonderful church, but we never talked about this in our church. So I, I grew up and I went to seminary and, and we never talked about any of this. The churches that I'm a part of, we, we just never talked about this. But today we're going to talk about something that has never taken place at any other time in the history of the world. This is the only time this has ever taken place. We're going to talk about something that the whole world saw take place. We're going to talk about something that is before us in the news on a daily basis. If you turn on the news, this is going to be there. We're going to talk about something that God has done that no one can undo, even though there have been many attempts to try to undo this. We're going to talk about something that is so glaringly obvious from our Bibles, and yet it is missed by, by many of our even Christian leaders, and it's right there. As I, as I said, I grew up in church. We never talked about this, and so uh, we're going to talk about that today. 
And the sign of the last generation, we began last week talking about this, that Jesus gave a sign, and he said the sign of the last generation would be that, that um, Israel, after being a nation, would cease to be a, a nation, and then after a long period of time, and we found almost 2,000 years, Israel would become a nation again. It's the only nation on the planet that existed as a nation, ceased to exist as a nation, and then became a nation, as the Bible said. So in 70 AD, about 40 years after Jesus went back to heaven, the Roman military comes into Jerusalem in Israel and annihilates Jerusalem. And the Jewish people at that point move out into what we would say the four corners of the earth. When they move out into the four corners of the earth, they live everywhere except in Israel. Now, there's always a few Jewish people who lived in Israel, but by and large, the Jewish people moved out into the four corners of the earth. The reason that Hitler was able to kill six million Jews is because they were living in Germany and Austria and all of those places everywhere but Israel. Does that make sense? But God said, there'll come a time where I will call my people back into their homeland. They will become a nation again. And that took place in 1948. It's a matter of, of, of history. And when that happens, you'll know that that will begin that final generation. So again, I grew up in the church. We never talked about this. So I thought maybe we'd take at least a few weeks and talk about where is this in our Bible so that um, when you, you get questions like this, you can at least point to it and say, well, well, here it is. So we're going to begin in Ezekiel 36 today. And then next week, we're going to be in chapters 38 and 39 of Ezekiel. And Ezekiel 36 is all about Israel becoming a nation again. But when we get to chapters 38 and 39, I want to put a couple of verses up on the screen if we can. And this will be after chapters 36 and 37. And God says, you will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land, and it will come about in the last days that I shall bring you against my land. And so what you see in that passage there in chapter 38 will be it's going to be the last days, his people, and it's God's land, and God's people are going to be back in Israel, which for almost 2,000 years was not the case. And I will look at that more next week when we get there. But then you go to chapter 39 of Ezekiel, and it's going to say this there on, on, the, on the screen. It says, when I bring them, when I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many nations. Then they shall know that I am the Lord their God, because I made them go into exile among the nations, and that took place in 70 AD, and then I gathered them again to their own land. God says, I'll bring them back into their own land. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Before we get into chapters 38 and 39 next week, where Israel is back in their homeland, we're going to look today where God says, this is how I'm going to bring them back into their homeland. So uh, again, chapter 36, we're going to read, this is going to be a very fast Bible study. We're going to underline a lot. I like to underline in my Bible just because when I go back and I read it, I want it to pop off. I don't know if you can see that, but this is what Ezekiel 36 looks like in my Bible because I, I, I want it to just, I want to go, oh, that's what that's talking about. So I encourage you to do the same thing today. Also important for our study today is to know that they're going to be incorrect. God tells the truth, but he has 
no aspirations to be politically correct. You and I live and want to be politically correct. God says, I'm just going to tell you the truth. If you don't have a title there, you want to title Ezekiel 36, and you want to write to the land, to the land. God's going to be speaking specifically to the land of Israel, and then he'll talk about the nation of Israel. Keep in mind that this was written about 600 years before Jesus was even born. So we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 36, and it says, and you, son of man, which is God's favorite way of referring to Ezekiel, prophesy to the mountains, underline that, of Israel, and say, O mountains of Israel, underline that, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has spoken against you, aha, and underline, the everlasting heights have become our possession. Uh, the enemy is saying, the everlasting heights, the nation, the land of Israel has become our possession. What we're going to find as we get into this is that the nations surrounding Israel, which are Islamic, are going to say, this is really our land. And we'll talk about that. It'll be more clear as we go. Verse 3, therefore prophesy and say, thus says the Lord God, for good reason they have made you desolate and crushed you from every side that you would become a possession, underline, of the rest of the nations. All the other nations there surrounding had their stake in Israel for almost 2,000 years. And you have been taken up in the talk and the whispering of the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, to the hills, to the ravines, to the valleys, all to the land, to the desolate wastes, and to the forsaken cities, which have become a prey and a derision to the, uh, to the underline, the rest of the nations which are round about, however your Bible says it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely in the fire of my jealousy, I have spoken against the nations and against all Edom, underline Edom, who appropriated my land, underline that, for themselves, as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. I've underlined that almost that whole verse. When it says it was taken by Edom, you'll remember when we were in uh, Gentile, it becomes literally the nations around Israel that are currently Islamic and have been for about 1,500 plus years. So keep that in mind. They appropriated God's land. Not only did they appropriate it and said it's their possession, they even renamed it after Israel's ancient enemies, the Philistines. We say Palestine. It's the same word as Philistine, Philistine. Same word, just a, a different language. So anytime uh, you hear somebody talk about Palestine, uh, that's just a reference naming it after Israel's ancient enemies, the Philistines. So you, you don't want to do that. And then it says in uh, verse 5, at the end of it says, the, um, where does it say? My land for themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and with scorn of soul to drive it out for a prey. My Bible says scorn of soul. Some of your Bibles say malice in heart. How many of your Bibles say malice in heart? Verse 5. Yeah, that's probably a little bit more clear. And they're just mocking Israel as they do this. And there's a hatred there. Well, verse 6, it says, therefore, God says, prophesy 
concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains and to the hills and to the ravines and to the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and in my wrath because you have endured the insults of the nations. Israel has endured the insults of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God. My Bible says, I have sworn. How many of your Bibles say God says, I've raised my hand, something like that? Yeah, he's raising his hand to swear, making an oath. Therefore, says the Lord God, I have sworn that surely the nations which are around, which are around you will themselves endure their insults. God here is making a promise to the land of Israel. He's raising his hand literally to swear an oath. The idea is that God is not going to change his mind. Well, verse eight, it says, but you, O mountains of Israel, you will put forth your branches and you will bear your fruit. Sounds like Matthew 24, we looked at last week. For my people Israel, underline my people Israel, for they will soon come, soon come. It's gonna be a couple thousand years, but from God's perspective, it's soon come. For behold, I am for you and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. I will multiply men on you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the cities will be inhabited, and the waste places will be rebuilt. I will multiply on you man and beast, and they will increase and be fruitful, and I will cause you to be inhabited as you were formerly." And I will treat you better than at first. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. This is not an interpretation. I just read what it says. God says, they're going to come back. They're going to be on the land. And you're going to be inhabited just as you were before. So God is just laying it out. Verse 12, you want to underline the entire verse. And he says, yes, I will cause men, my people Israel, to walk on you and possess you so that you will become their inheritance and never again bereave them of children. From God's, from God's perspective, he says, this is gonna be my people, my land, the people of Israel. There are certain world religious leaders who stand up and they will tell you that Israel, the Holy Land, belongs to the Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians. In the Bible, God says it belongs to the nation of Israel. When they tell you that, that it belongs to the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews, they're lying to you. That's just not what it says. Does that make sense? So it belongs to Israel. So don't believe that. No matter who that religious leader is, he's not telling you the truth. Well, verse 12, we looked at that. Verse 13, um, he says, thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you are a devourer of men and have bereaved your underlying nation of children. We're going to talk about the nation here. Therefore, you will no longer devour men and no longer bereave your nation of children, declares the Lord God. And I will not, I will not let you hear the insults from the nations anymore, nor will you bear disgrace from the peoples any longer, nor will you cause your nation to stumble any longer, declares the Lord God. Have you noticed that since Israel became a nation in 1948, although they are surrounded by all of their enemies, no one can beat them militarily. No one could kick them off the planet. So let, 
let's, uh, just to give some perspective here, if you were to put Israel and uh, in context of the Middle East, they are surrounded by so many enemies around them, and they've been attacked at times by all of these enemies, and, and they've, they've won against that. And then, once again, if you take Israel and you stick it in the state of Florida, it's literally the size of Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. So God says, you know, when you become that nation again, nobody's going to remove you. The idea is that they're not going to be able to beat you because this is something that God is doing. Well, the first half of this chapter talks about or speaks to the land proper. Now he's going to talk about why did they go into exile? Very important. We'll pick it up in verse 16. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. How many of your Bibles say her monthly uncleanness? Yeah, it's a little bit more graphic. And so um, verse 18, it says, therefore, I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. There's a big conversation there, all the ways that they defiled it and they shed blood. And uh, ultimately that ended with the shedding of the blood of Jesus. But there's been something that's been going on for, for quite some time. So that's one of the aspects. Verse 19, underline at least the first half. He says, also I scattered them among the nations, plural, and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds, which I judged them. So the diaspora, when the Jewish people leave the land of, of, of Israel and they go into all the different nations, that was a judgment. That was a judgment that came from God. So verse 20, it says, when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they've come out of his land. The idea is that being out of the land of Israel was actually profaning to the Lord. It was embarrassing, we might say, because God had created them to be there. But because of what they did, they were judged and they were moved out. Again, the reason that Adolf Hitler could kill six million Jewish people is because they were not living in the land of Israel. They were living in, we would say, the four corners of the earth, and especially at that time throughout Europe. Well, verse 21, he says, uh, wait, what verse am I at? Am I at 21? Okay. But I had concern, now very important, for my holy name, God says, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, and I've underlined all this, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord your God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. God restoring the nation of Israel is not because they have been good. It's because he has promised. And his name is on that promise. So he's going to restore them. In church world, there are those who would say that God is done with the Jewish people. And that is called replacement theology. They say they, they crucified the Christ and so God is done with them and so you can kill them, whatever, which, is, which happened in World War II, part of the thinking. Uh, but the truth is God says he's not done, but he's not done. But it's not because they've always been good. It's just that he's made a promise and he's going to make good on that promise. And we'll talk more about that as we go. Verse 23, he says, 
I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned it in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. Underline all of verse 24. For I will take you from the nations, plural, gather you from all the lands and bring you into your homeland. All the countries, all the lands, at a certain point, he's going to bring them back. That began in 1948. Verse 25, he says, then, now next to verse 25 in the uh, margin there, I want you to write, not yet, not yet. Verse 25, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. So the question is, are they doing that today? We say, well, no, they're not, they're not. Um, they will, that's in the future, but they first have to be in the land before that takes place. Well, we pick it up in verse 28. You will live in the land I gave to your forefathers, so you will be my people and I will be your God. Verse 29. Moreover, I will save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the grain and multiply it. I, I, will, not bring famine, I will not bring famine on you. I will multiply the fruit of the tree the produce of the field, so that you will not receive again the disgrace of famine among the nations. By the way, Israel today is a major exporter of fruit. And so when you, if you look at a satellite image of the Middle East and you look at Israel, it looks very green. Then you start looking at the countries around, not so green. So uh, God says, this is what I'm doing. Verse 31, then you'll remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourself in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Then underline verse 32, I am not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for, the way, for, for, for your ways, O house of Israel. And we'll talk about that later on. So here you have God says, I'm doing it because I've promised, not because you're good. And that will certainly see that more as we go. Verse 33, God reiterates his promise. He says, therefore, says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited, the waste places to be rebuilt, the desolate land will be cultivated instead of being a desolation in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, this desolate land has become like the Garden of Eden. And the waste places, desolate and ruined cities are fortified and inhabited. Then the nations that are left round about you will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that, planted that which was desolate. And that you want to underline, I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Verse 37 Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during the appointed feast. So, so, will, the waste place, so will the waste cities be filled with flocks of men, and they will know that I am the Lord. 
If you were to go to Israel in 1960, the population was about 2 million people. If you were to go there today, it's like 9.2 million people. So God is multiplying there in Israel just as he says. So in chapter 36, God speaks to the land specifically and says, this is what I'm going to do. Now he's going to talk about the resurrection of the nation. Have I put you to sleep yet? Good. For the three of you that are... Let's go. All right, this is a very short chapter. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 37. This is going to talk about the nation coming back to life. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Underline that. He caused me to pass among them round about. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And lo, they were very dry. They were very dry. Chapter 37 begins with a vision. And uh, he's in the spirit and he sees this. He's in a valley. And there's all of these dry bones. Now, these are not skeletons. These are just bones, bones everywhere. And they're very, very dry. We would say this is an impossible situation. Verse 3. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. And, and he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. One of the things that you'll find is that God wants to do something, but he's going to call somebody to begin speaking what it is that God wants to do. It's a conversation for another day, but you just notice that. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you that you may come to life. Underline that. And I will put sinews on you. We'd say cartilage, tendons, ligaments. I will put sinews on on you and make flesh to grow on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you that you may come alive so that you will know that I am the Lord. Well, verse seven. So I prophesied as I had as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a rattling, and you want to underline, the bones came together, bone to its bone. Now, if you read in theological circles at this point, theologians will tell us that as the bones came together, that the leg bone connected to the knee bone. The <laughs> Verse 8, and I looked, and, and behold, sinews were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and you want to underline, but there was no breath in them. There was no breath. So uh, there, it's coming back, but there's going to be a process. So it's coming back together, flesh is growing, but there's no breath. Verse 9, then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, for they have come to life, that they may come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. However your Bible says it, you want to underline great army. So what you see here is there's a process. We might say there's steps taking place. First of all, they were scattered, dead, disconnected all over the place. They come together, but they're still dead. 
and uh, then they come to life. Then they come to life. And he ends that by saying they become an exceedingly great army. Today, when you go home, go on the internet and type in something like 20 most powerful militaries on the planet. And uh, typically, Israel's listed about number eight on the planet. Sometimes, depending on who's doing the, the calculations. But it's very interesting to me that it's always listed as one of the most powerful militaries, and it's literally the size of Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach County. So God says that, that, that's how it would happen. Well, verse 11, verse 11, uh, just so we know that he's not talking about the church here, it says, then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Underline that. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished, and we are completely cut off for 2,000 years they, they lived in every other nation as a people except for Israel, and they lost hope that they would ever become a nation again. Verse 12, therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves, that's going to be the, the, all the nations that they were in where they'd lost hope, and cause you to come up out of your graves, underline my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 13. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you and you will, become, and you will come to life and underline, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it, declares the Lord, declares the Lord. So he's going to bring them out of all the nations, which they considered graves, hopeless situation, He's going to, at a certain point, bring them back into their homeland. That happened, began in 1948, and is still continuing to take place. Something else that we need to know. Verse 15, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, and you, son of man, take for yourself one stick, you want to underline that, and write on it for Judah, underline that, and for the sons of Israel, his companions, and take another stick and write on it for Joseph and the stick of Ephraim, and then underline, and all the house of Israel, his companions. Something that, that we as Westerners who grew up in church, we, we might not know. And I want to put a map up of Israel. God tells Ezekiel, I want you to take two sticks, and you're going to write uh, Israel on one, you're going to write Judah on the other. If you were to look at a map at the time of Jesus, and going back for about a thousand years before that, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, which they call Israel. We refer to it as Galilee, and that's where Jesus grew up. And down in the bottom, you would have Judea or Judah. So there, there were two kingdoms, and they had different kings. And in the middle, of course, there was Samaria, which is inhabited by the Samaritans. So there were these two kingdoms of Israel at that point. God says, when I bring you back into the land, it's going to be very different. Verse 17, he says, then join them for yourself, one to another, into one stick, and I want you to underline, underline, that they may become one in your hand. When the sons of your people speak to you saying, will you not declare to us what you mean by these? Say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the land of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel, we'd say in the north, his companions, and I will put them with, I'll put them with it, with the stick of Judah, which is in the south, and make them one stick, underline that, 
and they will be one in my hand. The sticks on which you write will be in your hand before their eyes. Say to them, now you want to underline all of this. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will take the sons of Israel from among the nations where they have gone, and I will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel and one king, by the way, king, uh, prince, governor, leader, all the same, same word. One king will be their king for all of them and they will no longer be two nations and no longer be divided into two kingdoms. So if you grew up in the church, you'd hear about the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You'd hear about Israel, you'd hear about Judah. It was two kingdoms. But God said, when I bring them back into the land, which happened in 1948, when they come back into the land, they will no longer be two kingdoms. They will be one kingdom, which happened in 1948. So when you go to, when you go to Israel, there's no, there's no more two kings. There's just one nation, one nation of Israel. Jesus taught that when that happens, by the way, how many of you never saw what we talked about today? You, you've never gone through these two chapters. A couple of you. Good, good. So you learned something today. Did you at least find that interesting today? Good. Jesus taught that this event, which would be considered so, so impossible that a nation could exist as a nation, not exist as a nation, and then 2,000 years later would come back as a nation, that that would begin that final generation. It would be very different than it was thousands of years ago when there were two kingdoms. There would be just one kingdom when he brings them together. So God says over and over and over, it's his people and it's his land, which is why when you hear on the news and they talk about we need to have two states in Israel, uh, we need to have the Palestinian state and we need to have the state of Israel. Just know that God says, no, it's my land. It's my people, Israel. You never want to be standing against God as far as what he says is going to happen. By the way, it's not really part of my notes, but I can tell you that there will not be two states in Israel. It's just not going to happen based upon what the Bible says. So that begins that final generation. Now, the world's going to call it the occupied territory, but God just says, no, it's my land and my people, and I'm doing it, and no one can undo that. Well, so what do we do with that? Um, first of all, I, I would say that you always want to go to the Bible and say, what does the Bible say? We never talked about this in the, ch in the church that I grew up in. But the Bible teaches that there'll come a point where Israel will become a nation again. It's never happened. 2,000 years, not a nation. They become a nation again. Jesus taught last week that begins that final generation. When that final generation begins, things begin to move very rapidly. If you were to go back to the world in 1948 till now, the world has changed dramatically. Technology and just every, every, every way possible. My point in telling you this is first of all, that you know this, and somebody says, where does it say that? You can go, well, look right here. But the other thing is to say, Jesus really is coming back. This really happened just as he said it was going to happen. It really happened just as it was laid out in the Bible. If this happened just as it was laid out in the Bible, then you can trust that Jesus is coming back just as he said when he said, this is the final generation. 
So this week we look at that. Jesus becomes, or, or Israel becomes a nation again. Next week we look at Ezekiel 38 and 39. In that, God is going to tell us that after Israel becomes a nation, Russia, Turkey, and Iran will align themselves to come against Israel. You and I are seeing for the first time Turkey, Iran, and Russia strongly aligning themselves. And uh, it's coming, just becoming more and more uh, prominent as we go. If you Jesus into your life, things are happening just as the Bible says. You want to make sure that you are in relationship with the Jesus of the Bible, the God of the Bible, which is very different than the Jesus of our culture. So as we close today in prayer, you have that opportunity to invite him in. He promises that if you invite him in, you will be, as the Bible says, saved, born again. He will never leave, but you don't want to go forward in this time uh, without knowing that you know that you're in relationship with him. So far, so good? Let's go ahead and, and close in prayer. Father, as we close today, our prayer is this. First of all, as we see things happening Just as the Bible said, Israel becoming a nation again, becoming strong again militarily, uh, we, we see it happening. It's the only generation where this has happened. Lord, for those of us who've never invited you in, we look to you and we say, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of everything I've ever done. I want your salvation. I want to be in relationship with you. So come in and take my life and show me all that I need to know as I walk with you. And if you invite him in, he promises to never leave. Father, I pray that here at Calvary, we go forward with our eyes open, seeing what your word says. And as we go forward, we realize the time in which we live, and Lord, that you teach us how to respond appropriately to the events that are taking place around us. Lord, I pray that you keep each and every one of us till we meet again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.